Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey service for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Salzberg, along with co-host Lori McRobbie. Today we're talking with guests about the start of another new school year. We have three guests joining us today. Dr. Jeff Hoswald is MCCSC superintendent. Matt Stark is the principal of Bloomington High School North. And Dr. Dominic Domstella is the Jackson Creek Middle School principal. You can join us on the air by calling 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 877-285-9348. You can also send us your questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. I will tell you we've had several questions already, and hopefully we'll have more uh, that are sent in during the show. But I want to welcome all of you. I know it's uh, – Dr. Hoswald said it's the third week of – School third week third day of school already third day of school and um, how's that how's that um, how's that first week going Doctor oh, all three of you and you know is there excitement is there concern is there trepidation I mean what what are your feelings going into that first week Doctor Hoswell let's start with you well good morning Bob thank you for the conversation and yeah we see excitement uh, with with the students and welcoming them back of course. Uh, we started on Wednesday, August the 2nd, so we are in day three. Not we, It may feel yeah. like week three for some, <laughs> but we are in, uh, we're in day three. And uh, no, there's a lot of excitement, um, and there can be some trepidation, but I believe that through the relationships we're building uh, at MCCSC, um, there's generally a level of excitement, of, of reconnection. Um, you know, I, and I know that both uh, Mr. Stark and Mr. Salome mentioned that when students are new to a school, um, that can be because they're transitioning from elementary to middle or from middle to high, or if they're new to our com- new to our community, um, there may be some additional um, trepidation. But we provide a lot of wraparound support, um, a, a lot of, uh, of, of welcoming uh, uh, environments that we've created both in the school and in the classroom. And I think we alleviate that. Um, our teachers spend a lot of time that first week really getting to know our students and who they are and um, and, and just celebrating them as individuals and then learning how to design instruction based upon that. So a lot of relationship building this first week. And I think that that puts students at ease and allows us to more quickly accelerate learning um, as we begin that path. All right. Well, Mr. Stark, from the high school perspective, and I think that that transition from middle school to high school can be kind of a big one. So uh, can you talk uh, more about that, what Dr. Hoswald said, and just also, what are you excited about the most for Bloomington North season or year this year? Sure, Bob. Th- thanks for having us on and uh, giving an opportunity to talk about some things. Uh, the Friday before uh, school started, we had Cougar Encounter where some of our upperclassmen and about 300 to 350 of our freshmen were in and uh, for about four hours where we just kind of helped them to kind of learn the building, kind of know where they're going. And uh, upperclassmen talking to freshmen is always a, a good place to start because kids talking to kids and helping them make that transition. And then our, our Cougar leaders had shirts on the first couple days, uh, first few days of school here to help uh, be a place of contact for our freshmen as they do that transition. And to echo what Dr. Oswald said, the, the, the um, teachers are spending uh, important time here at the beginning of building those relationships, of connecting with kids or reconnecting with kids for our students that are back. So um, I'm just looking forward to a great year. We have a, you know, always first day of school is always an exciting time where uh, everybody's passing, nobody's in trouble and and uh, we're trying to shoot for what's next for them. So uh, the, the start has been very uplifting and a, and a lot of really good things happening and very proud of the staff and our, uh, our students and especially our student leaders for really making this start uh, something special. So just a, a- 
Quick clarification for those who might not know. So you mentioned Cougar leaders, right? Are those your students? That yep. Okay. Cougar leaders are are upperclassmen students who come in and uh, spend time with our freshmen. There, we're looking at about uh, oh about ten or fifteen freshmen for every Cougar leader, and so they're really combining together and helping take them through how to navigate the lunch lines, where lunch is, where their lockers are, where classes are, things that they can do to be successful in school, and telling it from a student perspective of students who've been here. So it's been, it really is a good program. Uh, Mr. Devereaux, who is one of our assistant principals, actually started this program many years ago, and it continues on today. All right. Um, Dom Stella, are you with us? Absolutely. Hey, I'm here. Thanks for great. having me, Bob. Thanks for, thanks for joining us today. So uh, same, similar question to you. I mean, that transition from elementary school to to middle school has to be, you know, middle school, a lot of people will think mid, the middle school grades are some of the toughest times for young people. So how's, what, what's the most important thing for getting them started on, on, uh, on track? Well, I'll tell you what, Bob. So we are very fortunate to welcome students that had otherwise been in fantastic schools for six years plus prior to us. And we very much invest in and cherish the opportunity to welcome them here and we do it in a variety of different ways. It's not just our students, but it's also their families and their caregivers. And they're so dedicated in ensuring that they have those optimal opportunities here when they're at Jackson Creek. And so we, it happens so many different ways, uh, one of which is proactive and the other is reactive. We've been so proactive in our communication leading up to the school year. Um, our district has launched a new tool, an application called Parent Square. And it's been fantastic in allowing us to connect with families um, on a daily, weekly basis in terms of um, what's on the horizon and the expectations. It's been a great tool for me to utilize, even providing some tips for families that this may be their first child that's entering middle school. And there's a whole lot of that angst or uncertainty. It helps us to provide uh, wraparound in terms of not just for the, the children, uh, but also for the families that care for them. And uh, that's a very important relationship that, like I had said previously, we cherish. Well, that's, that all sounds that all sounds great. It's great to hear how enthusiastic you all are. Um, I, I want to ask, uh, turn this to to Jeff uh, in particular about how uh, the state funding has impacted uh, MCCSC. Uh, it was, a, I guess, an historic year in terms of uh, funding going to a lot of things because the state was historically uh, flush. Um, what, what kind of changes are you seeing with respect to uh, the funding that MCCSE has received this year? So um, uh, the biennial budget and our state legislatures do a, a, a two-year budget for school funding. Um, and so that provides the, the basic funding for what we call um, edu our education fund. And that's primarily based upon student tuition. That change was made about a uh, decade and a half ago, about 15 years ago, um, as you know, we, we shifted um, a lot of our school funding from the local tax levies. Um, we implemented constitutional tax caps for property taxes in Indiana. And we shifted a lot of the um, student tuition funding to the state level. And with that, of course, I think there was an increase in sales tax and some other things. So school funding, um, a significant amount of it shifted from the local level to the state level. So this is, uh, as, you, as, you, as you mentioned, a new statewide conversation that has developed uh, over the last 15 years um, with greater reliance on exactly what that school funding level uh, or amount is. So you're right, with record revenue, um, the state did provide um, increases to school funding. Here at MCCSC, we're anticipating that funding to be se approximately 7.5% over two years. So um, we um, are appreciative of that increase. Um, that increase um, will um, provide us a significant amount of additional revenue. Of course, we are mindful that that 7.5% is most likely not going to keep up with inflation. And that's been a concern that continues to develop uh, um, really uh, over the last 20 years. And that is we've begun to see trends where school funding increases are not keeping up with inflationary rates. And of course, um, here at MCCSC, 
80% of our funding goes towards um, our, our our staffing, um, and particularly uh, most of it going towards our certified staff for our teachers. And so we want to remain competitive, um, not just locally, but in the state of Indiana, to continue to attract and, and retain um, high-quality uh, teachers. And so um, we do know that the significant increase this year um, will allow us to increase salaries uh, through the bargaining process this fall. Of course, we are mindful that um, with with high rates of inflation, other costs continue to increase uh, disproportionately. Uh, that can be everything from our utility bills to our health insurance, um, to our um, casualty insurance, uh, to supplies. So with those costs increasing, um, it, it continues to be a struggle to make sure that we are able to keep our teacher salaries up with inflationary rates. And MCCSC is seeking another referendum uh, this fall. Is that is that correct? That's right. We are uh, going to the uh, our, our voters and our uh, taxpayers and asking them for a rate of 8.5 cents. Um, we have other taxes dropping off. So the impact on uh, average homeowner, um, homeowner with a... Um, with an average mean value of assessed valuation would be fifty dollars, and and what what do you anticipate that funding will will that also go towards teacher salaries, uh, or or simply to go into dealing with some of the cost pressures that you you mentioned earlier? No, these are these would be new expenditures. We're really trying to expand the work that we are doing and um, the feedback that we have received continuously from our community. Um, that is from our families uh, as well as uh, some of the business leaders. I know that. Both uh, Betsy and the Chamber of Commerce have identified work for workforce pressures. So this is um, really a, a family-centered referendum, and that is alleviating a lot of the costs that are associated um, that our families incur on an annual basis. I know we talk about a free public education, and uh, anyone that has had uh, children in the school district or in any school district know that um, perhaps that, that free public education comes with an asterisk. That includes um, costs for early childhood. That includes costs for supplies. I know back-to-school lists were out, and many parents probably spent North of $100 to buy school supplies. That includes um, costs for uh, assessments or uh, supplemental instructional material costs. So this uh, referendum is focused on a lot of the costs, which can be barriers to many families that they face uh, on an annual school year. Um, the first thing that we're tackling is early childhood education. We know that we have a approximately 1,200 unserved and underserved three and four-year-olds in our community for early childhood education. We also know that in our community, there are um, more than 10% of, uh, there's 10% less fam people uh, with children under the age of six that are participating in the workforce. Um, because for some people, it's childcare issues. For others, it's, um, it is, um, it's early education um, or workforce issues. So we are um, spending a majority of the upcoming uh, referendum, if it passes, on ex significantly expanding early childhood education. And that would be providing um, uh, affordable and free um, early childhood education for all four-year-olds and for all three-year-olds um, that qualify for free and reduced lunch. And that goes back to the fact that we know um, that when students are ready to learn when they enter kindergarten, it's one of the largest effect sizes, one of the largest benefits that we can provide students um, in, in terms of being um, at reading level grade three or even graduating on time. So um, our, there's some other components of the referendum that includes eliminating uh, school supply lists for families. Um, that is certification fees and career education. Those fees can be large barriers for, for our, our students that are graduating on a career pathway. Testing fees, um, just a lot of the costs that our families incur to attend these free public schools. Before we leave the, the idea of the referendum, there was a referendum last year that the voters passed uh, very comfortably, to, and that increased, as I understand it, increased um, staff and uh, teacher salaries. Was, that money was used for staff and teacher salaries. What's the urgency to coming back to the, the uh, taxpayers and voters again this year, just one year later, and asking for another referendum? So the urgency is, um, first of all, last year's uh, referendum was simply about our staff. It was about making sure that we could adequately staff our schools with our teachers and with our um, 
with the, with the support staff that's necessary. And we did that by um, having our referendum increase our, our teacher salaries by $4,500 and our, our hourly wage workers by $2.25. So the entire focus last year was on, um, on wages and salaries. We had a lot of input last year from families um, asking to address um, early childhood education costs and some of these additional costs that our families incur. Um, we actually tabled that and held off on that conversation, Bob, because uh, back to, uh, I think, uh, Lori's uh, uh, introduction to the last question with this record revenue, we were really optimistic that after 20 years of debating early childhood education, that our state would tackle that at, 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 the, at the state level. Our state legislature would, would fully fund that. Remember, um, Indiana is one of only six or seven states that does not fully fund early childhood education. And it's creating some major economic headwinds for our state um, and locally in our community. We have a lot of folks that can't afford early childhood education um, or um, simply there isn't enough capacity. So th these are creating some economic challenges for us. And with the state's record revenue um, and surplus in, in, in the billions, we really were hopeful that this was going to be year, the year to do that. And we would never want to ask our local taxpayers to pay for something that the state um, is going to fund. So when that did not happen during the, the, the 2023 legislative session, um, we were continuing to get feedback on what are we going to do about early childhood education. So we got a lot of community uh, leaders together, uh, a lot of early childhood providers together. And we said, you know, if we can lower some other taxes, and that includes our debt service um, fund, if we can lower some other taxes, could we replace that with a second referendum to do what a lot of our families have asked us to do? And so a lot of these um, taxes are, the, these new referendum tax dollars would replace other other taxes um, so that then again, the overall impact would be approximately four cents, which would come out at about $50 for a $250,000 home. And for us um, being able for families um, right now, families are paying um, eight to ten thousand dollars for early childhood education. They're paying hundred dollars for supplies, um, for technology and, and consumables. They're paying two hundred dollars. Um, if you want to take a certified uh, nursing assistant exam at the end of your career thread, that cost is $495. For a lot of, if you want to go into our uh, EMT program, those costs can be anywhere from $250 to $350. Same for a welding exam. So I hope what we're beginning to see is that these costs are, are adding up and it's disproportionately affecting our priority populations, particularly our students of poverty or our complex students, our most complex students. And so um, we, we had a lot of conversations with community members and we felt like um, we're continuing to advance uh, our strategic plan with a focus on equity. And this was the next thing that we need to do. All right. If you have questions or comments about the opening of uh, the MCCSC school year this year, you can call us at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 877-285-9348. You can also send your questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org. We've had uh, quite a few questions come in. Uh, here's one for Dr. Stella. Uh, some of these are, are at the building level, so we'll get to get to our, our guys at the building level. Dr. Stella, pick up and drop off time at Jackson Creek. Traffic is backed up all the way down Sayre. What is the plan to address this? Yeah, so that's uh, actually something that I proactively addressed and reached out to parents via Parent Square to let them know that we're aware of the issue and how we're trying to handle that. As of now, our release times, we had staggered them um, out of a safety protocol to make sure that our hallways were not too congested. And so we plan to address that by having releases that are, are slightly earlier on that end. And we're also doing a better job in terms of having our staff out front trying to make sure that our new parents and families and guardians who are not familiar with the process are aware of the expectation of what they should be doing as well to help us out on our end. So we are aware of that. We're proactively working to address it. Um, we've had these procedures in the past and haven't had quite as much issues. Um, it is that time of the year too, where we have more um, car riders than traditionally, but nonetheless, we're working diligently to correct that and make sure it's as expedient and as safe 
of a process as possible. Here's a question that's come in about uh, one of the new laws that you're dealing with. I'm going to ask the the uh, principals to address this. And, and Dr. Hoswell, I'm sure that you have been in on the conversations too. But uh, this person asks, I'm super curious about how the district is handling the new law about student pronouns and about the offensive library material. So I would think that you folks at the building level, that's something you have to have a strategy for. So uh, Matt Stark, do you want to start on that? Sure. Uh, we've gotten, uh, I would uh, applaud the district as we've gotten good guidance from the district of talking to our kids. Uh, the very first day of school, um, we started at uh, Bloomington North. Uh, we started with uh, our what we call our den period, which is we're handing out devices and things. And we made them aware of House Bill 1608, which talks about names and nicknames and pronouns and things like that. And so that they had a very clear, students had a very clear understanding of how um, that would be addressed and how we're, there's an, a process by which we inform parents and also take care of, uh, take care of kids in the process as well. And so... We're, the, we're kind of in the process right now of, 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 of getting that information from our kids. And uh, we've had some parents, I, I applaud our families because our families have uh, reached out and a number of them have um, let us know of, you know, maybe traditional nicknames that have been going on for years is because the laws the law says uh, about not only just pronouns, but also nicknames and different names that uh, students want to be called. So um, I'm, I'm really proud of our families that have reached out and continue to reach out and uh, help us out on this process, and um, we're continuing to work with our students on it. All right. Any uh, issues at the middle school level, Dr. Stella? No, I'm going to echo, uh, echo exactly what Mr. Stark says in terms of making sure that we're not just complying with laws, but first and foremost, our priorities here are to make sure that our school is not only a place that embraces diversity and equity, and so we'll make sure that we are complying with those guidelines. We've received a lot of um, expectations and guidelines from our administration, and I can tell you that things have been going uh, very well here, smooth in terms of those sorts of advancements as well. And speaking to that bill at a, a district level, if I may, Bob, of sure. course, we lobbied heavily against Bill 1608. We think that it had um, um, somewhat of a somewhat of a Trojan horse legislation, and we believe that it had um, some nefarious uh, um, intentions to perhaps uh, discriminate against our transgender student and others within our LGBTQIA plus population. Um, so we've been asked frequently about how we're balancing the state requirements with making sure that we're providing uh, equitable and, and uh, inclusive uh, programming and support at the schools. And so we are complying with the uh, state law. To be clear, the state law uh, is not uh, specifically um, written um, only for pronouns or for students um, um, that identify um, perhaps as transgender, um, for example. Um, rather, it is on any name change. And so we know that law was um, was was tweaked and made more vague so that we believe it would comply with Title IX. And so we are, um, we'll begin sending those letters. They have to go out within five days of, of being notified for uh, students that are requesting name changes. So um, we know a lot of the conversation has been on um, requested pronoun changes, um, but we are, will be notifying families uh, uh, anytime there is a, a name change or a, a pronoun change. Um, but most importantly, even within those letters, we are working um, um, with our students to make sure that we are creating a safe and inclusive school. Um, we have counselors, social workers, um, you know, our, we have student equity ambassadors at our high school, and the level of support is, is pretty, uh, pretty impressive. So we're really proud of, of the environment we provide. We did, of course, uh, lobby against um, House Bill 1608, um, House Enrolled Act 1608 now. And um, so our focus is on making sure that our student needs are addressed and that our students are, are welcome um, and, and providing them a safe a safe and inclusive environment. And I know that both uh, Mr. Stella and Mr. Stark and all of our other principals and our teachers are doing just that. And so we're real proud of our response and we are making sure we comply with the law, but we're really focused on meeting the needs of our students, um, even, even uh, in lieu of the fact that this law was enacted. I want to, uh, another um, requirement that has come down is uh, based on the, the science of reading, which is, a, a I guess, an, a, a curricular approach that uh, schools in Indiana are now required to follow. 
based on a body of research uh, on children's brain development, uh, best practices for teaching reading, and of course, Indiana's uh, a state that struggles with literacy rates. Um, and maybe, uh, 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 Mr. Stark, you could start with uh, some comments at the high school level and also, well, I want to hear from all three of you about how you think this is impacting uh, curricula. Uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for that. Uh, the thing that, uh, that as a district that we do is uh, we also do NWEA testing um, at elementary, uh, middle school, and high school levels. And so a lot of that data that by the by the time a student gets to the high school level, we're, we have a good amount of uh, longitudinal data to see not only where the student stands, but also kind of where the growth is. We do have at the high school level um, a couple sections of developmental reading for our kids who are still working to um, get the get their reading score. Um, get the reading ability up to grade level. So the the um, impact of this, the, the law and the rule is, has been impacted I think more at the elementary and at the, at, uh, maybe at the middle school level, but uh, we continue to work on it through our developmental reading classes at the high school. Um, and uh, again, the NWA scores that we're, that we're working on also give us that longitudinal data so we can see growth and see where kind of where Lexile scores uh, students are, which helps us across not only English, but any of our, um, all of our classes in which reading is a primary focus. Yeah. Dr. Stella, so you may be facing a bit more of this at the middle school level. Yeah. So there's quite a bit of overlap with what Mr. Stark was saying in terms of providing supports and whether that's remediation or otherwise, but fundamental to our core at MCCSE, and we can say this from building to building, is that we are a professional learning community school and so what that means is whether it be language arts or other content areas we are constantly tasked with asking ourselves what it is that we want our students to learn how we're assessing that what do we do when they're not improving uh, in understanding and what about for those students that perhaps already understand the the concept that's in place and so uh, much like what mr stark said our team of professionals are always looking through data collectively in those PLCs, those professional learning communities. They can form in uh, a variety of different ways. Um, to be more germane to the topic at hand, we have our English language arts and remediation experts that meet as a team to look at data to see the effectiveness of that curriculum instruction and, and to respond accordingly. Yeah. I want to ask another curricular question that I think is from a uh, some time ago, um, not going to remember exactly the year that a computer science uh, requirement was passed, um, which I don't believe schools have to comply with until next year or the year after. I, I don't remember the details anymore, but um, hopefully um, uh, the three of you do. Um, uh, Dr. Hauswald, uh, do you, are, are you aware, are you, what, what's going on in, in uh, MCCSC with respect to complying with, um, with that requirement? So a, a computer science and, and techno, technology literacy uh, can, is something that I know we've always embraced. And I think our, our students are oftentimes well ahead of us on that. Um, but, but, but some of these requirements are, 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 are things that we have to offer and we have to provide. Um, that's, that's programming and, and options within computer science. Others are um, more, 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 um, more specific. So um, if we talk about, you mentioned science of reading, which unfortunately we don't have any of our elementary principals on today. Um, but you know, years ago we talk about reading to learn and then learning to read. But if you go back to the foundations of science of reading, a lot of people get confused and think it's a program and it really is a collection of research. It, it focuses on uh, mm -hmm. phonemics, fluency, vocabulary, and comprehension. And, and all of that, though, is to continue to inform the evidence-based uh, instructional methods and, and how we provide interventions. And so MCCSE has been uh, really implementing uh, the science of reading for quite some time. I think sometimes people say, are you going to buy the buy the book or, 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 the, or the program? And it really is just a good body of research. Um, but I do want to go back and, and, and remind a lot of our listeners that, that a lot of the barriers, a lot of the... Um, the, the, the learning gaps that exist for our students, for example, in primary school, kindergarten and first grade, are developed in birth to five. And so we really are trying to tackle this a lot of ways. And that is making sure that when our students enter the schoolhouse gates as, as kindergartners, 
um, and or through the schoolhouse gates kinder as kindergartners that they are ready to learn. And so I do think that in addition to the science of reading research um, that we've already had in place that we continue as, as Dr. Stella mentioned to make sure that our teachers are well trained on through our professional learning communities. It's making sure that our students are ready to learn. And we have a lot of unserved and underserved uh, preschool students. So I think the referendum will continue, of course, uh, if it's passed, to provide a lot of those foundational skills necessary so that um, so that the science of reading um, concepts and research can be can be embedded on day one um, in, in our primary schools. Uh, going back to computer science, and I think uh, a lot of that is through our enhanced STEM curricula. Uh, we really have been enhancing um, our science, technology, um, um, uh, excuse me, our, our science and technology, engineering and math um, lessons, opportunities, project-based learning. We have STEM coordinators. We have STEM labs at our middle school. I think Dr. Stella might be able to speak to that uh, first. Um, but we do know that we are we are ready to meet the uh, computer science requirements. In fact, most of that is already in place at MCCSC. We have a, a, a caller who wants to go on the air. He's got a question for us. So, Randy, go ahead. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> My question is about the recent run-up in property values in the area. It seems to me that any fund that's tied to property values would have had a, a windfall in the recent years. But in last year's referendum, there was never any mention of this. And my question is, is that true, that you got a bunch of free money? And what's happened to that? And uh, that's basically it. Thank you. Dr. Hauswald, can you explain that? Yeah, so... Um, in essence, our other property, unlike uh, a lot of um, other government agencies, our revenue is uh, is capped under legislative um, um, guidelines and codes. So, um, operations fund—that's what we we levy locally to pay for buses. When you see the uh, lots of our uh, big yellow buses out in our in our community um, for the last three days. The amount of revenue we have is capped based upon average AV growth. So, what that means is that when um, AV goes up by 17%, for example, um, we we are not allowed to collect more than a small amount of growth. Um, that's to keep up with inflation. And that, that, that growth limit is based on a six-year average. But it now, under a law enacted this year, because I think a lot of our legislators were worried about the impact of, of extreme AV growth, um, operations fund can't grow by more than 4%. Uh, the referendum fund, uh, I know that uh, Randy mentioned that, uh, the caller um, said, well, with AV growth, you're going to get more money uh, from the referendum. Interestingly, the state legislature also sort of changed the will of uh, some of our local voters by capping that growth at 3%. And so as those dollars don't go up and as AV goes up, our tax rate actually drops. And so I'll give you an example. Um, last year when we ran the referendum, you know, we ran it at 18 and a half cents, but our tax rate only changed by six cents. And and the reason for that is this increased AV and and, and decreasing levies elsewhere. Um, this year, though, um, we just actually had our um, our budget certified at the local level. Assessed valuation growth is at 1.9 cents. Um, that's one of some of the lowest growth, 1.9%, excuse me. That's some of the lowest growth we have seen uh, really in the last several years. So I believe that um, some of those, that AV growth is generally offset by um, by seeing reductions uh, in, in the tax rates that we collect. That may not always be true for other government entities that can always collect the same percentage, but we are limited in the amount of growth we're allowed to have from one year to the next under, um, under state code. It's a really busy day here on Noon Edition. I want to make sure that you have our contact information. If you want to call us, 812-855-0811 or toll free at 877-285-9348. You can also send your questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org or you can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition and send questions there. Uh, so I've got several questions that have come in, um, and uh, one of those I'm looking through here has to do with uh, oh the wraparound idea that that you mentioned before. Um, can you talk about wraparound services and what those entail? Is this uh, more of a is this 
a recent idea or have these wraparound services been expanding over the years? I can start and we can give a couple of examples. Okay. So we talk, we, uh, MCCSD has adopted a whole child approach um, for, for many, many years. And that whole child approach is the emotional, behavioral, academic needs of our students. And that's making sure that we eliminate barriers to learning um, because we know that when students uh, experience barriers to learning, um, and that can be from food insecurity, it can be from housing insecurity, um, and, and just a, a whole lot of other 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 things um, that makes it difficult to learn. Those these barriers to learning are really uh, difficult to overcome. So part of our whole child approach, and we kind of mentioned that in some of the other conversations, was making sure that, that the needs of our students are met um, and that we're not um, because just going in on day one, we're building relationships. We're making sure that the counselors and social workers, the students are aware that they are available for those conversations. Um, because if not, then our students are gonna have difficulty learning. We've also talked about wraparound support, not only at early childhood, making sure that our, our, our students have, um, that, they, that we provide the support so that they're ready to learn in kindergarten, but then we, that's extended learning opportunities. That's before school, that's after school. It's, it, it's targeted interventions during the day. We have a lot of partnerships with Indiana University School of Education, and they're providing um, a lot of, uh, of students that are coming in during the day to provide targeted inter interventions for individual and small groups. So all of this is, is really included in that wraparound, those wraparound support services. And I, I don't know if uh, Dr. Stella would like to mention a couple examples first and then maybe Mr. Stark. Yeah, absolutely. So when we look at some of those wraparound services and where they may exist within a given day, I can give you Jackson Creek for an example. On our Tuesdays and Thursdays here in just a couple of weeks, we have structured time in which our professionals look at data and that data lets us know gaps in terms of um, students' needs and also data that's transitioning from the elementary school where it may be communicated to us that a particular student may have needs that are of a social emotional extent and so that what we do is during that tuesday and thursday is that our professionals guidance counselor social worker has the opportunity to pull them in a very private setting and work with them on whatever given area they may need some additional um, assistance in and so that is one form that that may exist in terms of wraparounds. And I, I just wanna give a absolute hats off to our guidance department team and our social workers because they work with not only supporting those students in those constructed times, but there are many times in which families reach out and they have inquiries pertaining to how to uh, register or how to ride a city bus, for example, is a recent one. And there's so many different ways in which um, we include services for those students and those families to ensure that learning can be met. Because if those basic fundamental needs are not reached, then it's incredibly difficult to learn the kind of content that is uh, being taught by our teachers here. And Dr. Stella, we might add that uh, we formed a parent university. It was very successful last year. Information's on our website, mccsc.edu. Um, and we have classes on a weekly, bi-weekly basis based upon family feedback. So that can be uh, college applications, that can be um, interventions, that could be summer support, that can be um, big, uh, cybersecurity. So kind of those conversations that Dr. Stella mentioned, we have an entire parent university um, and those classes are on, they're free and the list of those classes are on our website. I think there was, uh, just uh, turning to another topic here, some anti-bullying -bully legislation that was passed in this mo uh, most recent session. And I'm curious to know, uh, obviously bullying has Bullying has been around since public schools have been around. Schools have been around, unfortunately. Uh, so clearly, MCCSE and the individual schools have been dealing with this already. I'm curious to know what those efforts have been like and how the legislation might might change what you're doing. Um, and uh, Dr. Hoswald, why don't we start with you? Well, just quite simply, I think that if you look at overall at our strategic plan and you look at our our vision and mission. It's very clear that we're equity centered, that we're focused on diversity, and we're really focused on celebrating differences and uh, making sure that we're a safe and inclusive school. Um, that has to start with uh, with uh, education. I know that um, we're really proud of our, our board and our community um, for working to create an anti-racism statement. We have student equity ambassadors that have been working all summer um, to make sure that our schools are, are free of discrimination, racism, harassment, bullying, 
Um, and that starts with education. Um, part of that is making sure that our students are aware of when we see something, we say something, and that we report harassment, discrimination, bullying, um, and that we have trusted adults that we can talk to, that we build those relationships. But that comes through education. And I know uh, Mr. Stark may be able to give some really sound examples for the start of school of just what we're doing to really build up that, um, that educational pieces to make sure that we have an inclusive school that is free of, of racism and bullying. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I'm really proud of our student uh, equity ambassadors and our kid, our students. They did not like our. Uh, they said our bullying information was, um, while solid, was all out of date. And so our students last year worked on really breaking down the idea of bullying into um, ideas of, you know, um, anti-racism, uh, uh, going after sexism, going after um, affirming LGBTQIA plus communities, and really kind of breaking it into different parts and really redoing our educational, our programming that has been vetted through our administrative team here at the high school, as well as our social worker. And they're really trying to make it much more relevant and talking to our students about what that looks like. Uh, but I also want to add is that we're really pushing this idea as beyond just bullying is how do we, how do we affirm and support each other? How do we go beyond just not being negative and how do we do things to, uh, you know, um, support the as students come in and how do they how do we uh, help uh, carry that load how do we in, improve our ability to be kind and, and understanding of each other and that's a, a challenge that we have uh, issued across um, both for our students our staff and our families as well is really taking a look at what we're talking about how we're talking about it are we making sure what we're talking about is true are we making sure it's kind and are we making sure that we come with a solution-based mindset on how we help to address those things so i I think it's uh, it's going beyond the, just the anti-bullying mm -hmm. and really going into more, how do we uh, wrap around and take care of each other and be kind to each other so that, um, that we're doing a better job of that. Yeah. Dr. Stella, I assume that those things are also happening at the middle school level. Yes, absolutely. We're making every discernible effort to, to follow those similar guidelines. And again, this is under the um, continued efforts to make sure that our school is a place where diversity is embraced and equity is cherished. Um, if I want to continue with you on the middle school level, because you know we've made it through most of the program without talking about standardized testing, and I know standardized testing is always an issue in in Indiana. So I, I wanted to get your take on whether you know our students have bounced back since the pandemic. Um, in terms of standardized testing, um, the the uh, results of standardized testing, and and also, you know, what how does that factor in to the school year in the eighth grade? Yeah, that is a fantastic question. So I thank you for that. And the long and the short of it is that, by and large, I can tell you at our school, specifically when we look at mathematics and English language arts, we have seen an upward trajectory in our student performance on our standardized assessments. And so we're seeing that those state assessment scores are improving. Um, I'd like to attribute it to the various different supports that we put in place that we covered earlier in, in the conversation today in terms of remediation supports and looking at data and having effective uh, professional learning communities uh, because we know that the instruction here in our building is really going to be a catalyst for strong performance on some of those state assessments. And so there's that piece of it. And there's also that piece that I'm, I'll echo one more time is that we extremely, very much so, and I can't emphasize enough the value that we place upon making sure that our school is a place of belonging and making sure that students feel safe and comfortable and ready to learn. Because without that foundation, we're just not going to see the performance uh, that we need. And I know coming off the coattails of the pandemic and over the past uh, duration here, that's been one of the core focuses in making sure that students feel safe and that they belong and that uh, that they are going to do well. And so um, very strong shout out to our, our teachers and our, our faculty, our staff there, and knowing that our, our scores are improving. I have a firm belief because of the hard work that they're doing. You know, I, I get to ask the what I believe are kind of the simple questions sometimes. And, and not that it's the answer is simple, but the question might be kind of naive. But I, I just think everybody has been to school, right? So you guys have a 
double-edged sword. People are fascinated by what's going on in their in their schools because everybody's been there. But people also remember when they went to school, whether it was 50 years ago or 40 years ago or 30 years ago. I want to ask the principals if if somebody uh, comes in would come into your building on a typical Wednesday and they hadn't been in the building in 20, 25 years and remembering when they were students, what's the biggest difference that they would see? Um, yeah, I'll, this is, I'll, I'll start that. I think the biggest difference would be is technology. I think the the big difference, and I'm in that meaning that uh, we have students with one-to-one -one devices. We have students obviously with uh, cell phones. We have technology in our hallways. I think we have a greater access to information than we've ever had in our history. I think the the idea that a teacher is the sage on the stage or the 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 purveyor of all the knowledge is is a, a thing that has shifted, and it's really about learning how to assess and evaluate information and data and facts and do um, be critical thinkers. And I think that uh, I think that would be a big step that they would notice. I think there's still lunches and there's still. Um, relationships that are good and, and, and do wonderful things. I think that by and large, our students appreciate and respect their teachers. Um, so some of that stuff would still be the same. Um, but I think technology is probably the biggest uh, part of that. And, and I think our kids are actually more, in some ways, more empathetic and more understanding. And we can learn a lot from them, as we've been talking about during this program about equity, is our, stu our students do a very good job, I think, overall of, of seeing uh, differences in people and celebrating those and looking for ways to you know, affirm and care for each other. If I can follow up on that, it sounds like what you're saying uh, in part is where we used to look at teachers as as uh, subject matter experts and as number one, teachers have to be looked at in a much broader sense now. Is that right? Yeah, I think teachers, I think the role of a teacher as continue to uh, recognize the potential in students and help them to push them and to help them gain that knowledge. And, and they need to help uh, manage that information. There is so much out there and some of it is really good information and, and some of it's not and helping our kids be critical and uh, of that information. And I think it's a challenge for our teachers to stay up on uh, the newest research and the newest things as we continue to develop and grow in our understanding of learning and the and the um, and the way that the human brain learns and how we do that. I think that we're continuing evolving, and I want to echo what Dr. Stella said: is I think it's critical that we are a PLC corporation, and the fact that we're continuing to challenge our professionals are continuing to challenge each other to um, constantly evaluate where things are and how we can help kids that aren't that are struggling to do better and how kids that are doing well to even push that envelope as well. So I think the challenges for teachers have increased uh, quite a bit in the last 20, 30 years. I want to ask Dr. And Bob, if, yeah, go ahead. Bob, if I may add real quickly, I just want to, you know, for the start of the school year, I, I have the opportunity to go into all the schools and I visit all the classrooms. And, you know, I, I'm just always impressed with just how much our teachers are embracing these new realities, the way they build relationships with students and they have restorative conversations and, you know, they really are um, getting to know our students so that they can understand where they are, their interests, uh, and how they can help them achieve their goals and accelerate learning. It's an impressive thing. I mean, our, our teachers do outstanding work on a daily basis, and that work gets harder and harder. But I do believe here in, in, in Monroe County, our, our families, our community members, I think they understand that. I, I think there's a new profound level of appreciation for our teachers and, and for our support staff and what they do every day. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really impressive. And the job gets harder, but our teachers uh, and our support staff are heavily invested in professional learning uh, and really improving their work and profession. And, and I oftentimes say that, uh, um, that, you know, what they do is, is both an art and a science. And I don't think we sometimes uh, recognize how complex it is, but just how well they do it. We have about three minutes left, so uh, I guess a, a final question to each of you might be, what are you most looking forward to this year, um, particularly in terms of, of new, new things that will be happening or getting started? And uh, Dr. Stella, why don't we start with you? Yeah, I want to say that what it's a new but not so new thing, and we're going to continue to work on here, and I mean that in the most positive lights, is that in terms of what a middle school looks like for college and career readiness. And so 
our school is one of three schools over the summer that had hosted a variety of professionals to learn about these um, STEAM methods at science, technology, engineering, art, and mathematics. And so our teachers are giving our students hands-on opportunities in terms of having authentic, engaging learning opportunities. You know, that's a big difference between 25 years ago and now is that school is more and more focusing on providing those access to uh, future career possibilities. And so we don't want to limit our students, whether it's through um, curricular access or in some instances, such as the referendum, money shouldn't be a, a limitation there for them to access the career of their dreams. Yeah. Mr. Stark. Yeah, I, I think um, looking obviously for things that uh, we're going to continue to get better at. Um, uh, we are we're celebrating on August 14th. We have a number of our students. We're going to do a small convocation about or a good convocation about Day of Champions where we're going to celebrate our kids that are doing great things. We're going to continue to do the things we do. We've had uh, AP scores. that has been, you know, the best in the last five years. So we're seeing a lot of success there. We're continuing to add curriculum like the AP African-American Studies um working on and uh, i think it's been mentioned a couple times really working on how do we push ourselves i really appreciate the the support uh, we had our environmental science class dr hoswald met with uh, our environmental science club and talked about the future of renewable energy and how that's going to impact our school system and uh, impact our school itself and again i think there's there's a lot of things that are going on and, and uh going after our, our students who are struggling through a, a rigorous intervention model for both academic behavior and social emotional learning. I mean, it, we continue to, you know, try and do things on all fronts and uh, I'm, I'm really excited and hopefully our families will come join us on August 8th for our open house where they get to come around and meet and greet with the, the um, teachers and kind of see some of the things we're getting done. Sounds, sounds they, great. They, Doc, they, they Doc. Left, yeah, they left you about 20 seconds. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just I'll just be real quick. Thank you for giving me 20 seconds. Uh, yes, we do are doing a lot with I'm excited about our work with uh, renewable energy and, and solar. We'll talk about that maybe on another show. Our strategic plan is laser focused. This is the second year of that heavy t conversations and work on equity and diversity, a data dashboard that we are developing so that we can clearly measure all of the goals outlined by the Board of School Trustees. And then of course, the 2023 referendum, which is really fam family centered to uh, alleviate some of these barriers, early childhood education, supplies, consumable costs, career education, um, and just a lot, making sure that all of our students have equal access to the quality programs at MCCSC. Great, thank you for wrapping that up. I wanna thank MCCSC Superintendent Jeff Hoswald, Bloomington High School North Principal Matt Stark, and Jackson Creek Middle School Principal Dom Stella for being here with us today. For Lori McRobbie, my co-host, for producer Nathan Moore and Benta Boutier, for engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey service for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com.